Well, hello, Date Night family. It's Tony. And Bree. Back in the Date Night Cafe. And we're praying the Lord's grace and peace is with you and that your fam bam and the- Fam bam? The fam bam. Tu familia. Su casa is best. <laughs> I love when you speak Spanish. <laughs> I know. Peyton's been learning it. It reminds me of all the old words. Poquito. Well, fam bam. We are super excited to spend the hour with you. And we've got a super special Halloween episode today. Ooh. <laughs> Do that again. Hey, that was my Halloween whistle. <laughs> Well, we are going to be talking through the difficulties of Halloween and whether Christian families should participate. What was your best costume as a kid, by the way? I cannot remember my best, but I do remember my worst. Are you ready? I'm ready. Third grade, Alf. Alf? Alf. Like remember the little hairy, that hairy thing in the 80s? <laughs> yes. It was that big monkey looking alien that lives with the suburban family. Yep. I, I was not even allowed to ever watch Alf. I just remember like we were, you know, be going to the Cosby show or something and flipping by and I would see this hairy thing on. What was that about? What would he do? He just lived with a family. I don't remember too much. It was just creepy. <laughs> yeah. you call it a pig monkey? Is that what you call them? <laughs> pig well, monkey looking alien thing? Yes, totally. What was yours? Did you get beat up a lot? Or in an Alf? It was a pretty rough day. I was always Superman. I mean, just the kid with the red Underwear and the, the blue tights. That explains so much. <laughs> By the way, <laughs> note to all the moms out there, don't let your kid be the, the guy who wears the red underwear and the blue tights. Ethan, in fact, can I get some applause from all the kids who had to wear... Yes, thank you. <laughs> had to wear tights. <laughs> Mothers, hear it from us now. Yes. Well, every October, Halloween becomes the hot button issue for Christians. And it should be because culture keeps pushing the envelope and it's a really... Really crooked world. <laughs> That's not a good whistle. Are you ready for this? Let's do it. I'm ready for this. Ethan. Okay, well, this is such an important topic today because we've received a ton of questions from all of you getting bombarded with all of the Halloween decor, the ghosts, goblins, black cats, and spider webs. I still remember, I think Zeke was like four-ish. We walked into Home Depot and they had one of those hooded skeletons that moved. He started crying. Oh, it was so sad. I think that I would start crying when I see those things, the ones that move and they're really tall. Yes. Yes. You know what it makes me want to do? What? So we are going to come back next week with how to talk romance with the kids. But this week, we're going to talk Halloween. I was just reading, actually, that as of 2019, Halloween was the, get this, second biggest retail holiday in the U.S. Really? Yeah. I mean, Christmas still beats it. But I'm sure most of us grew up trick-or-treating or carving a pumpkin. So where do we even start trying to wrap our heads around all of this? I, th- I think it's important to start with a brief history. And to try to understand what Halloween is, um, and just to kind of get a big picture, because for most of us with our, our, our modern American conscience, uh, we're not even prone to ask the, the questions about where things come from. We just kind of do them, and it's a part of the commercial enterprise. So I think if we start with a history, that'll help the moms and dads decide you know, how they should respond and what they should do with it. Perfect. So big picture, there's a positive element to October 31st. Um, and this is important to remember that we often hear it called All Saints' Eve, And most scholars think that dates back to around the 8th century. And just like it sounds, it was a time for the Western church to remember the faithful people who died or been martyred and seems to have been the holiday celebrated by the medieval church. I mean, basically for a thousand years. 
But that being said, the best we can tell, and this is debated by scholars, All Saints Eve was the church replacement for a pagan Celtic festival known as Samhain, hmm. which was a festival of the dead. And if you go back to really early Irish literature, you can see where even the name Halloween was derived um, from some of that. So Samhain marked the end of the harvest. It was the beginning of kind of the, in quote, darker half of the year, what was called the, the liminal time, where supposedly a boundary between this world and then the netherworld thinned. And they, they said that the spirit fairies or demons could come over, the souls of the dead could visit. And, and some sources specify that that's when the Druidic high priest would stave off these souls of the dead uh, from visiting. And the way they would do that, kind of staving off these half-gods, was by child sacrifice. Oh. And I know it, it, it's, it's horrible to think about, but stuff like taking the fat of a child and then lighting it in a hollowed pumpkin on fire, and that was what would keep these, these end-quote, demons away. Um, or dressing up to meet demons at the door. And the point being to all that is there's an awful lot, and this is so important to understand, an awful lot of modern Halloween even the name itself, that seems to be pulled from the ancient occult, uh, much more so than per se um, All Saints Eve. I mean, it'd be beautiful if everyone was getting together and gathering around and commemorating these wonderful people who've passed, uh, but much more so, you know, obviously the culture is celebrating something much darker. So what we celebrate here in the Western world today, at least in imagery, is derived from the more pagan Irish origins? It really is. And, and not that most people know that. I mean, 80% of our people out celebrating uh, aren't thinking that way. Mm-hmm. Um, but if anyone just pauses a little bit and thinks about the black cats, demons, the zombies, the witches, the warlocks, the sorcery, jack-o'-lanterns, and does a little search on Google, it's pretty obvious. It's not a celebration of light and life. In fact, it really is uh, anchored in something uh, really, really dark. Wow. Um, I think it's also interesting to note that Satan worshipers are really open about that. You know, Halloween is their high holy night. Anton LaVey, the, 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 the head of the Church of Satan in San Francisco, once said, quote, I'm glad Christians allow their kids to worship Satan one night a year, end oh quote. My. So he was just pretty open about it. Mm-hmm. And it really is fascinating to think that you know, there's loads of Americans who are celebrating a 2,000-year-old pagan holiday. And even though it's just their five-year-old in a Rapunzel dress, kind of going after a Snickers bar, really the root of the whole thing is, is, is pretty evil. Wow, that helps, especially as a mother. So it kind of seems, correct me if I'm wrong, like we should just ignore Halloween. Just turn the lights off and put the kids to bed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's one option. And as you know, we're going to talk about that here in a sec. Um, but it's not... It's not that simple because there are larger precedental principles at play. And I'll just, I don't want to bore everyone to death, but let me just do a little bit of background material here, a little bit of the philosophical and the exegetical, just to make sure we've got our feet under us, okay? Love it. Because we don't want to have logical incoherence. Um, we certainly don't want to have biblical incoherence. We want to be, you know, building from the foundation up. So the, the history and the origins of Halloween we've covered, but then let me give a little bit of the background on principles. First would be the principle of what we call origins. I often will call it just, um, end quote, guilt by association. And this is a really important principle to understand. It just means that due to the fact that we live in a fallen world, virtually everything we interact with has a, a checkered history. I mean, the obvious illustration could be Christmas or Easter. Christmas was selected December 25th, around 200 AD, and some say a little bit after that. But it was pulled originally from a pagan holiday of the in uh, quote, unconquered sun, Dies Solus Invicti Nati. And, and a lot of Christmas, that's a Roman thing, and a lot of Christmas seems to stem from that pagan origin. Yule logs, gifts, possibly the tree, although some say Martin Luther, and, you know, that came later. Hmm. Another example would be Easter. I mean, that can be traced back to ancient celebrations of the equinox. 
Uh, I don't know how the egg and the bunny got thrown in, but <laughs> even birthdays. I mean, our pagan celebration, you know, blowing candles for a wish came from Pharaoh in Egypt. And, and this is true in just so many areas of life. Valentine's Day, May Day, New Year's Day, even wearing a baseball cap. I mean, on and on and on. The point is that the moment we stop doing something due to origin, kind of where it began as a cultural tradition, we're going to end up curled up in a ball in the closet, not being able to touch anything. Yeah. And so the first big thing to remember, just, just for logical coherence, um, is this principle of origins and then being careful of, of, end quote, guilt by association. But here's one that's even more important. Second, I would call it the, the principle of conscience or of Christian liberty. Um, we are not the first to struggle with pagan holidays. <laughs> and because of principle number one, principle number two is incredibly important. In the Bible, in God's word, Paul spends significant time helping Christians deal with these kind of issues. You think about Rome, uh, to Corinth, in Colossa, um, Paul is dealing with this kind of stuff again and again and again. Here's these people, they're fresh out of a pagan cult worship system, they're born again, now they're saved, they're in the church, and they're wrestling with how to participate in society. So just a basic overview of Paul's diagnostic really helps us to ask the right questions. And let me just give those to everyone, and they can write these down. In fact, most people will know them. Paul says, when you're in these situations where you're kind of bumping up against your old life again, he says, number one, ask this question. Is this activity dishonoring Christ? Is what I'm about to do going to just blatantly dishonor Christ and his clear commands? Uh, 1 Corinthians 10.31 would be a great example of that. Can I glorify God when I do this? Um, is it beneficial for, for me as I do this? Um, question number two would be, is this activity violating my conscience? Romans 14, 23. Is, is the alarm bell going off? <laughs> am, I, am I too close to the edge here? Uh, and if I even have a question in my mind that I want to pull back and not do it. And then number three, obviously, is this activity causing a weaker brother to stumble? 1 Corinthians 8, 13. Is it going to pull someone else down? And so anytime that we bump up against our old life again, we need to go through that diagnostic and really ask those hard questions. And so keeping those two principles in mind, Help us stay biblically balanced. And, and that's what we always want to be as Christians. We're biblicists. We're not ideologues. So number one, the principle of origins. Number two, the principle of Christian constants. Does that kind of make sense? Totally. I love it. So let me try to simplify all that down. Based on those two principles in a fallen world, most every cultural tradition will have had touched questionable practices. Yes. So as Christians we're freeing Christ, we're always analyzing our involvement through the glasses of what honors Christ is allowed by conscience and will never harm a more vulnerable Christian? Yes. Okay. That's why you get paid the big bucks. Good oh, job. Yeah. <laughs> Number one, does it honor Christ? Number two, is it allowed by my conscience? Number three, uh, would it not harm a more, more vulnerable Christian? Awesome. So with all of that as backdrop, let's talk Halloween. We've learned it's a holiday that stems from horror, mostly celebrates darkness, and we know there's no partnership between Christ and Bilal, Satan, and we're supposed to be ambassadors of light, guiding our children. So how do we interface with the modern version? I mean, true Christians will avoid obvious evil, things like immodesty, drunkenness, and sexual mm -hmm. immorality. But what about the more, air quote, innocent part of Halloween where someone just wants to take little Susie to go get a Milky Way from the neighbor's house. Sure. Let me go ahead and give a three-part answer now that we're getting into the Halloween stuff. In fact, <laughs> before I do, let me put a big theme on the top of this whole thing. The big, bold theme is 
Don't blend in, stand out. Mm. Don't be like everybody else. Try to stand out. And that's always our goal as believers. And so everything I'm about to share is going to fall under that. You know, the reason Christ left us here to be salt that preserves, light in the darkness, ambassadors for his great name. So even as you listen to these three things, don't forget that theme. Our goal is not to be like everybody else. It's to stand out from everybody else. And that's the foundation for what we are as Christians. That's always our job, right? Halloween, Christmas, Easter, celebrating a birthday, or just even going to the grocery store. We're always ambassadors. Come on, girl. (laughs) Yeah. So underneath that, there are three ways to approach issues that push up against Christian conscience. And I'm sure most people have heard these before. It's been taught by pastors for the last 40, 50 years across the country. I just want to make sure we put it in front of, of everyone again. Number one is we can receive it. Number two is we can reject it. Or number three is we can redeem it. Um, And so I just want to make sure we clarify those. You can receive it, you can reject it, or you can redeem it. When you're coming up to these issues, cultural, traditional issues, where you're bumping up against society, you basically have to choose one of those three things, right? So let's work through one at a time. Um, Receive is obvious. And those holding this view, not necessarily me, would say in the New Testament um, that Paul told people it was okay to attend the pagan feast to eat food that was offered to idols. And a great example is Colossians when he told them, quote, no one's your judge uh, on old food and old festivals. And then Jesus himself spent time with sinners. And so basically this would be the group that says, hey, go ahead, receive the holiday, participate in it, and basically do your relational evangelism while you're out there. Okay, so this response would be trying to use Halloween to engage our neighbors, right? Yes. Maybe living out, giving out candy with tracks at the door, churches that do a haunted house for teens and give an invitation at the end of it. Absolutely. And, and, and I think I've seen churches that, and this will come back to your soteriology and understanding, you know, whether the, you know, it's we that kind of drive uh, salvation or if it's the Lord who saves and how you work that out. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the end of the day, there's churches that will, you know, throw, you know, concerts and they'll throw dances and they'll, they'll do, you know, they'll pull from old shows and, and they'll pull from old songs and they'll have, and they, they, the whole goal is to kind of say, hey, Satan and hell and judgment is real. And that's a popular view in America. I'm not saying I'd recommend that for multiple reasons, but it's definitely not outside the boundaries of being a Christian uh, or of being a Christian church. Okay. And option two is outright reject. Yes. You got receive mm-hmm. and then you got reject. Okay. And that's obviously just turning off our lights, putting the kiddos to bed and ignoring, right? <laughs> yes. That's, that's buttoning down the hatches. You know, we're, we're going to go ahead and, and go to the storm cellar and let this tornado roll right over us. And we ain't coming out till it's gone. <laughs> And that all goes back, obviously, to the history that I shared. So, so much of our modern Halloween traditions are sourced from the pagan occult. So black cats, jack-o'-lanterns, trick-or-treat even, uh, the high holy day we mentioned for Satan, Wicca, and just even like, let's just go a little layer below that. It's a night where um, all the inhibitions are set aside Mm. and all the sexual evils and immodesty are just kind of reveled in for the night. And so people wear these crazy outfits. Um, and that drives many people, and I think rightfully so, this is a good view, um, that would say, hey, in Acts chapter 19, remember that? There was the new converts in Ephesus, Mm -hmm. they brought out their magic, their books, their divination, their spells, and they just burned them all. And they said, we're done with that, we don't want to do it anymore. So if a Christian's been saved out of that life, he or she's going to hate that life and not want to drag their evil past into the present, and that's why they may err on the side of caution with the mm-hmm. kids, basically make a clean break, yeah, right? Totally. And it's a pretty strong position because going all the way back to the theme of this thing, we don't want to blend in. Mm-hmm. 
I would say, though, that that can be the challenge on the flip side, um, is it kind of hides us from the world and limits our impact. So although we don't blend in, we don't necessarily stand out. Okay, so we have receive, then reject, and the last option you said was redeem, and I'm assuming that means we offer a better way. Yes, and I would say this is a strong argument. This is the group that has an idea of redeeming culture, because basically they would say we all started evil, Mm -hmm. fallen world, we are sinful creatures, but God redeemed us. And then he left us here, the church, the temple of God, um, to redeem others, to be a part of his plan to, to call out a group of people unto himself. And if we run to the corner and hide, <laughs> think about the Mennonites or something mm-hmm. like that, we may eventually be abdicating our primary purpose as a Christian. I mean, think about it. We're going to do worship better in heaven. Um, we, we're we're going to do... Uh, we're going to know the word better in heaven because the living word is right there in front of us. Mm-hmm. The only thing uh, that we're not going to be able to do one day in heaven that we can do now is is witness and is is evangelize. Mm-hmm. And so what this group would say is you take this cultural holiday and you reframe it, you rebrand it, you repurpose it in a way that brings glory to Christ. Uh, and, and to be fair, that's exactly what those 8th century Christians did with All Saints Eve. They basically said, here's a Celtic holiday. It's worshiping something we never would want to touch with a 10-foot pole, so we're going to go ahead and just make a new one. Okay, so this would be the group that takes Halloween and celebrates it differently, like All Saints Eve, Fall Festival, Harvest Festival, sometimes Trunk or Treat, and they're trying to offer an alternative way to honor Christ, right? Absolutely, and, and we see that not just with Halloween, but with Christmas, with Easter, with New Year's, I mentioned Valentine's, mm-hmm. even our birthdays. <laughs> You know, Crazy. You know, Christians aren't, aren't sitting there going, hey, I'm going to be like Pharaoh and, and blow out this candle and I'm, I'm really going to expect that my wish is going to be answered. You know, Christians have historically taken a day from the secular, in quote, pagan calendar, a day that's part of Satan's world system, and then they've appropriated it. That's the word that I, I would use. They've mm-hmm. appropriated it, um, working out ways to glorify Christ with it. Um, and obviously this way doesn't blend in but it also, it stands out. So if you go back to that main theme of what a Christian is on earth, um, to be the salt and the light, it doesn't blend in, but it, it also is a way to, to stand out. So let me probe. We've oh, received probe? a ton of messages. Take me deeper. Asking what we do. So if someone asks today... Like us, personally? Yeah. Got it. What will the woods do on Halloween? What would we tell them? Oh, what would we do? Well, what would you tell them, my love? Oh, it's going to be like that, huh? Yeah, let's go. Well, Come on. Then, I feel the all the weight. <laughs> Because <laughs> our convictions aren't everyone else's commands. Langtone said, all of this is an issue of conscience, and Halloween is a tough one. But I think we spent many years as a family who rejected um, the holiday, and that was largely because we've grown up in a more... Are you saying we were a reject family? <laughs> <laughs> Just to be clear, we're not a reject. Maybe we are a reject family. I think Everyone's like, would yeah, be. Woods, you are a reject. <laughs> But um, I think it's because we grew up in more of a receive type atmosphere. Totally. So we swung yep. the pendulum way over. But now mm-hmm. that the kids are older, we're more in the redeem category, primarily because to your point at the top, it's a way we can try to stand out and offer our neighbors a way to stand out. And that's why, full disclosure, we have a fall festival at church. We really want Christian parents to have alternatives. Um, and we know their kids feel the pull of society. Uh, we know they feel the pull of society, and we want to give everyone ways to instruct the kids and to maintain their conscience, to enjoy true fellowship, to evangelize the neighbors, glorify God with October 31st. Um, all that to say, parents need to pray and study on this one, because obviously we're just, you know, we're just two 
um, sinners figured out as well. You know, we're just two Christians on this journey with you. Um, and we want to take the principles of God's word and then we want to apply the wisdom that God provides through the spirit. And we want to work these things out uh, in each of our own homes. And so that's what Team Wood does. So uh, we don't feel receiving it is right. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't sense it's best to run and reject it. And so we're trying the best we can to redeem it. And so, yeah, I hope that that's helpful. So would you say, are there any good resources? Resources? I keep waiting, honestly, for someone to write kind of the definitive Christian book on, on Halloween from from like an evangelical or Calvinistic perspective. I haven't found it yet. If you know of one, by the way, anyone out there, message me. Um, but there's a ton online. I think christianbook.com actually gives out little Halloween tracks. So if you'd like to throw those in with the candy, that's good. Uh, Doreen Virtue always has great material on the occult because uh, I think she came out of that life and her website is just her name, DoreenVirtue.com. Answers in Genesis has a great article on Halloween history in the Bible. Um, and then if you're looking for options to redeem it, I'm guessing because of everything that's happened in culture, there's likely a church in your area that's offering an alternative, kind of like what we're doing here at Mission Bible. Um, and I hope that that helps you all and at the very least gives you some primary principles to pray on as a God-fearing home and at least a direction of where to start researching online. And if you still got questions, we're here to help on the journey with you and in life and even for Halloween. Oh, that's time for, can I whistle again? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Even for Halloween. I love it. So message us anytime on Instagram at Date Night with the Woods. All right. Well, let's pray. And then next week you said we're coming back with Romance Lovemaking Part 3. For the kiddos. For the kiddos. Mm-hmm. So we're going to basically take the entire pod. We're still calling it the pod. Yes. And we are going to talk about how to take God's design for for. Um, marital intimacy, and then talk about it with your teenagers. Right yep. age, right stage, ways to do it. What is too much information, TMI, mm-hmm. and then what is proper information to where they have the right content? Because we all know um, they're going to get hit by it from the, the world right away. In fact, I was um, I read this week, I think the average age now uh, is about 10 that kids are getting hit wow. um, with sexual deviance from the world. And by age 13, it's a massive number, like 80, 90%. And in fact, the earliest now is a lot of kids are getting and seeing stuff at age five. And so very important as parents, um, you can't hide under a rock with this stuff. You can't hide them under a rock. You got to get out front of it and make sure that they hear the beauty of God's design. So we'll talk about that next week. Okay, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're reminded today that even in a fallen and overtly pagan world system, you are saving a group of people unto yourself. And what a thought. So help us to be a preserving salt, a beacon of light. And as the world grows darker this Halloween, help our fire to burn even brighter. Use our marriage, use our children, bring great glory to Christ and help us not to blend in, but always to stand out. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, date night fam, Lord willing, we will be back in 168 hours. Please leave a review to help us send a message to say hi and a heaping big thanks to the wonderful people of Mission Bible Church and Ethan, our producer. Keep living for the gospel and fighting for the family. (laughs) 